What Else with Corey Mann on the Studio DNA Podcast Network. One-on-one conversations with some of your favorite artists. Find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Spreaker.com. What Else with Corey Mann on the Studio DNA Podcast Network. The show that brings you in where the magic happens. Welcome to The Writer's Room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host, Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And today I'm joined by Sif Pop writer, Donald. Hey guys, happy to be here. Happy to contribute. We write for SifPop.com, providing you with movie reviews, best ever challenges, and other interesting movie-related articles. So make sure you check out the website, SifPop.com, to keep up with those. On today's show, we'll talk about a coming attraction soon, which will be Let Him Go. It's supposed to come out in theaters this week. We'll give our thoughts on that. Uh, and then we'll move on to the Sif topic, which is our nostalgia pick. And Donald pick, batteries not included. Uh quick spoiler warning for batteries not included we're not going to worry about uh trying to make trying to save your brain uh from the the plot developments that go on with that movie and uh after we're done talking about batteries not included we're going to move on to the b plot answering a question uh that is really just random and uh and then we'll wrap up with a spinoff a quick recommend or warn from each one of us but first as always let's get a chance to know our writer this week donald this this is really feels like an anomaly to me because it feels like forever since i've had a first time guest on the show because ben and robert are on uh once a month and i've had repeats of chantal and alice uh and a lot recently so i i feel like i haven't asked these questions in forever but donald uh when did you realize that you had a passion for movies well i'll do my best to make sure like any first time it is special for the both of us um <laughs> i would probably say that my passion for movies like i've always enjoyed movies but the passion for movies have to have been in college um i needed to take a fine arts credit uh, I took Introduction to Cinema uh, because you literally sat in a chair and watched movies and you got a grade for it. And who doesn't love an easy A? Right. Um, what was absolutely fascinating, though, was the fact that um, our college professor, they basically assigned us to uh, take a scene from a film and write a five-page paper on it. And I told him I wanted to do Gladiator. And he said, okay, you need a scene. And then I said – Okay, I want to do the first part. And he said, no, you need a scene. <laughs> and uh, it took me a while to understand what a scene actually was. Uh, and then I finally narrowed it down to the part right before the battle where he kneels down. And I kind of cheated. I used a couple of scenes. But basically, I used the moment where Maximus, Russell Crowe, uh, kneels down, takes a handful of dirt, and rubs it in his hands. And I was like, I, I mean – I, I basically explain it. I can BS like it's a second language, but I ended up writing seven pages on that one scene. And at the end of it, I was like, there's no way this actually was designed this way. Uh, I got an A plus and it, I ended up almost minoring in film. Um, and wow. it kind of just took off from there. That's crazy. I would have loved to take a class like that. The only one I got to take in college was theology of film, which was really <laughs> philosophy of film. Um, yeah. Turns out when you assign movies to watch, I don't like watching them, especially when they're the artsy fartsy ones, which we all know I already don't like. Uh, but we're not talking about movies that I don't like today. Well, at least not yet. Donald, what is your favorite movie and why uh, specifically is that one your favorite? Uh, what makes that movie just beyond excellent? Aaron, I'm going to turn this back on you. Unfortunately, I love movies so much. I don't have a favorite movie. The best I can give okay. you is I have top movies in different genres so here's the thing you give me about half a dozen or so genres i'm going to tell you what movies i've got that are up at the top for that 
Okay, I re- I respect that. I really like that. I uh, yeah, I I don't like putting all movies in one category, but I feel like that's such a common question. And uh, yeah, so mm. I'm gonna. How about uh, let's do uh, let's do comedies first. What's your favorite comedy? Does it have to be like a movie in the traditional sense, or oh. can it be a stand-up movie comedy? If you want to do a stand-up movie, then do a stand-up movie. All right. Um, I've got to say, I think Kevin Hart's earlier movies, I'm trying to remember which one exactly it is. I got to say, Kevin Hart, uh, I think it's Irresponsible, is probably one of my favorites. I would literally put some of his earlier stand-up uh, in the line with Eddie Murphy Raw. Um, okay. I know a lot of Eddie Murphy's stuff hasn't aged as well. A lot of his jokes um, are pretty offensive to a lot of different people these days. Um, but for comedies, I think either one of those two, I could watch and just be in tears within about five minutes. Okay. I'm, I've never been a Kevin Hart fan for his comedy. Uh, I, I think he's an okay like side character in a movie. I don't want him to be my main character. I don't like his stand-up at all. Uh, same with Aziz Ansari. I feel the same way about him. But I, I'm more of a John Mulaney type of guy myself. What about uh, – well, let's go a little more serious. What about a drama? What's your favorite uh, – like, drama is even pretty broad. What about a thriller? Do you have a favorite thriller? Hardcore thriller would have to be uh, Hostage, Bruce Willis. Phenomenal movie. Phenomenal movie. Like it's Bruce Willis not being Bruce Willis. Um, <laughs> Hostage has got to be one of my favorite movies. It is one of those movies I saw in theaters that still kind of sets me on edge. It might be one of those things where it kind of doesn't age as well. Uh, but the acting is fantastic, and the main bad guy is played by Ben Foster. I, I don't know how someone that short can be that terrifying, but my word, the man is just phenomenal. Uh, what's your favorite like crime movie? Favorite crime movie, though, has to be L.A. Confidential, bar none. Perfect. Without a doubt, hands Perfect. down. Perfect. I'll make sure to tell Robert because we talked just, about that a couple weeks ago. But <laughs> I mean that, that movie is one of those almost perfection movies where you're like – you, you can't call something perfect, but holy crap, try and improve any one part of it. And I don't know if you could. That's fair. That's fair. The uh, I'll give you one more. Uh, what is your favorite movie that is based off of something real? So it could be true crime. It could be a biopic. It could be Oof, something real. Like, see, I don't know if I can actually answer that. And the reason being is based on a true story. has got to be one of the most disingenuous phrases, I think, to ever come out of Hollywood because – you can have Hotel Rwanda based on a true story. You can have true. Corey Ten Boom, you know, uh, Jews in the Attic based on a true story. And then you can have Friday Night Lights based on a true story where, okay, it's about Permian Basin, Texas football players where football is literally everything to them. But it's not like uh, Peter Berger, the writer, were actually in the locker room getting down. I mean, it's it's a high school film. I mean, it's filmed better, it's acted better, it's really, you know, impactful. But it's like based on a true story is such a wide range. But at the same time, if it makes you curious enough to research and read your own, if it prompts enough interest to actually dig into history, I'm a fan of any. Okay. Um, but what worries me is people don't usually do that. They usually look at the easiest thing, generally broad, broad whitewash here. Um, but they usually go with the easiest thing, usually a movie or TV show. And they're like, that's my history, even if the history is not even remotely right. <laughs> right. Well, hey, how did you get involved in writing for SifPop.com? Twitter. Um, I don't even remember who it was. Uh, you know, I'm not even that active on Twitter. I mostly follow uh, people and use it just for a couple of different things and 
until I had a uh, uh, someone that I admire greatly kind of pointed out, uh, don't get your news from Twitter. <laughs> we can dive into that if you want. But basically, I followed somebody. Um, I think it was one of those things where uh, I was a huge fan of Cinema Sins and Cinema Wins. And I believe I was listening to their podcast uh, when they had uh, the Sift Father on as a guest. So I followed him on Twitter and then a couple other people were doing like retweets, that kind of stuff. And I saw one of them said, um, guest contributor to Sift Pop. And so I sent them a direct message, just said, hey, I'm curious, how are you a contributor? Uh, they kind of gave me a real brief introduction. I said, are you looking for additional people to help? And they said, sure, here you go. And handed me off to Ben. Ben took over from there, and uh, that was that. The rest is history. Oh, so you're relatively recent. Fairly recent. But yeah, it's just been really nice to get a chance to discuss something that I love and am passionate about, namely movies with people that are just as passionate. Cool. Yeah, I know a lot of us um, were recruited when Blake was still the managing editor, and Ben uh, took over right about the time the podcast started. And I, I was just – now that I'm thinking about it, I do remember you being pretty new to the game kind of as uh, – as the podcast was uh, was kind of coming into the uh, into the mind, so and become and yes, you know, into exactly. fruition, so. But yeah, this is, this is part of the fun. Why I love doing this. So, well, I got one silly question before we move on, and that is, if you could detach, uh, if you could detach part of your body, first of all, would you like to? Second of all, what would that part be? Like something you could detach and put back, you know, kind of like an action figure where it's like a Lego, where it snaps out and snaps back in. Uh, what would you like to be able to detach? If we're going with a like a Lego mindset, basically you can replace it with something like newer, better, faster, stronger. It'd be my lower back. I've already, I'm not even 40. I've already had two sections of herniated discs, and um, yeah, it really sucks trying to deal with stuff. Especially we've got my wife and I. We have our one year old. She just had her first birthday here a couple weeks ago. Um, really sucks to go down and pick up a one-year-old and have to worry that if you don't pick her up right, you're going to blow your back out again. So yeah, <laughs> I would definitely like a new lower back. That is for sure. Okay. I wish two things. One, um, if I am a Lego piece, there is an extension, uh, that goes in the arm sockets that gives me an extra gut. That would be nice to just, you know, get rid of the gut and be a pretty slim Lego person again. Uh, Fair enough. but you know, I could just exercise and work on that. I was thinking about this. i I would really love to detach my arm, provided that I could still use it. Like my not, my either my dominant or my non-dominant. I don't, I don't personally care. And the reason for that is the other night I was woken up at three thirty in the morning because a smoke detector was giving me a low battery thing, and oh, yeah. that's. I mean, we've all been there. It's it's just awful. Uh, but the problem is this one is so so. I have relatively high ceilings in my house, especially in the living room, which is where this one was going off. And I am a tall person. I'm six foot three. And I have relatively long arms and the kitchen table that I have has bar stools. I could not reach. I could barely reach this standing me standing on a bar stool on my tippy toes. And that's just not a good position to be in at three 30 in the morning. So that would have been much, much more helpful if I would have been able to detach my arm and give myself another couple feet of arms reach. I, I think that would be pretty good. Well, uh, let's move on to our coming attraction then. I feel like we've gotten a good chance for your personality, what movies you're interested in, things like that. Uh, we're going to talk about Let Him Go. Let Him Go is a movie that's coming out this week. Apparently, movies are still coming out in theaters. And uh, synopsis for this movie is a retired sheriff and his wife, grieving over the death of their son, set out to find their only grandson. Pretty vague. I kind of like when synopsis are vague, though. I kind of like when I don't know what I'm getting into for a movie. But... Uh, um, 
uh, Donald, when thinking about this movie, like let's just say that COVID doesn't exist anymore uh, and theaters are back and fully open. How soon do you think you're going to get this to see this movie? Are you going to go opening night? Are you going to go to a matinee, wait to uh, save a couple bucks? Are you going to wait to rent it uh, when it's already out on home release? Are you going to wait till it's on a streaming service you already paid for? Are you just really not interested in watching this movie? I'm going to rate this a solid meh because I actually saw in theaters a trailer for Let Him Go. And I was struck by, one, the cast. The cast is pretty impressive. I mean, it's not just Kevin Costner and Diane Lane, and I'm absolute fans of both of them, like, hugely. Um, I believe it's uh, uh, it's got a lot of those familiar people that you just, you just see and recognize, but there's not really too much there that really draws me in. However, what does interest me is the fact that the writer-director, uh, Thomas, and I'm going to mispronounce his last name, Bazooka? Bazooka. The bazooka, we'll go with Bazooka. I know it's not right, but I want to say Bazooka. So. All right. Um, he doesn't have a whole ton of work to his name. Uh, he does have some credits as both writer and director. The thing that is interesting to me, though, is I did just see one of his most recent movies, uh, The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society shockingly shockingly cute really heartwarming movie my first impression on seeing the trailer was it looks like no country for old men or hell or high water but with family drama which doesn't really appeal that much to me i'm gonna go with streaming if my wife wants to watch it and we're just together on that night and i can't escape it otherwise i don't think i'm gonna hunt this one out to watch it just not my forte yeah, I think, I think I'm right there with you. I probably wouldn't watch this movie unless it came on a streaming service I already pay for. For similar reasons that you said, uh, there there's nothing here that grabs me. There's nothing here that makes me feel original. I, I kind of mentioned how the synopsis is vague and I kind of don't like what I'm getting into. But I feel like the synopsis uh, and the trailer, I should at least have somewhat of an idea of what this movie is going to be about. And I just, I just don't. It, it kind of looks like a, a jumbled mess. Uh, it, it's, I think that Kevin Costner and Diane Lane here, of course, Ma and Pa can't. Uh, reuniting uh, can't, right. can't not mention that Ben would throw a hissy fit with me it, to me it looks like they're just phoning it in and here's this is the problem with trailers is because this is just a small piece of the movie I don't know they just and Kevin Costner at this point I mean I, I think his roles are either really phoned in or really cheesy you get like really cheesy like I don't know the guardian I don't don't really watch many Kevin Costner movies or you get, you know, incredibly phoned in, you know, stuff that stuff that De Niro would take, right? Uh, the war with grandpa or whatever. Some other big names in this movie is Leslie Manville. Uh, she plays Cyril in Phantom Thread. That's a, a pretty big one that she's, uh, she's also uh, the narrator for Love Life, that HBO Anna Kendrick show. Um, got quite a few things to her name. Um, she's a relatively uh, recognizable actress as well as we have uh, Boo Boo Stewart, who, um, that's a fun name. Played Warpath in X-Men Days of Future Past. And I never saw these, but played Seth in the last couple Twilight movies. Yeah, and you mentioned Thomas uh, Bazooka. I, um, I I haven't seen anything that he's done. It doesn't look like any of these have uh, like big budgets behind them. And it looks like this Let Him Go movie does. So probably um, one of the things that he did relatively recently. And he's like... He's been in the industry for since at least 2000. He directed a movie in 2000. He doesn't direct very often. He doesn't write very often. And that's either a hit or a miss um, in the industry. And unfortunately, there's just not really any way of knowing. It's, it's either somebody who wants to take their time and spend their craft, somebody like an Aaron Sorkin who only puts out a movie every couple weeks, um, somebody who only, yeah, only puts out a movie because he really wants to spend the detail and the time and do the research and 
uh, and set out to to really get to know that universe. Or you know, in something like a Quentin Tarantino, where uh, yeah, it's, I'm going to take some time. I'm going to write it. We're going to assemble it. We're going to make sure we just do this thing right. Uh, and so you only get a movie every couple of years. But th- there's those other people too that just don't really have anything impressive, so he's not really sought out. Nobody's really trying to find his screenplays or hire him as a director. I. I don't know. I, t- I tend to think that probably probably he falls in the latter category. I, j- I just don't know. Uh, and it's because I'm just so unfamiliar with him. But uh, there's nothing about this movie that, that grabs me. Gosh, um, I'm just not really you know, interested I, I in this movie. This, this looks like it's going to be run-of-the-mill. I mean, it, it really does, unfortunately. I mean, I, I will freely admit that a lot of the uh, trailers that kind of uh, came up before Tenant, I'm kind of like, that's definitely a movie. That's about the best that I can get. Man, thinking about this movie even more, even just talking about it, like I feel, I feel like I'm in the never watch this movie category. Like that's how I feel. But I'm very rarely going to be in there. I mentioned I was pro- practically in there with uh, the war with Grandpa, and there was a couple other ones. I just definitely said I'm, I'm just not interested in seeing this movie. I, I feel like I'm there, but I feel like this also is a movie that if I heard some good buzz about, if I heard some people saying this is actually pretty good, I would catch it. I'm, I'm definitely not paying just any extra money to see this movie though. Uh, and that's why I think I ultimately land in, in streaming. But I, I just I realize that I really haven't said anything other than you know just nothing about this movie grabs me. But that, I mean that's just the sad state. You know that's just the way that movies need to be. And you know even if you are zero frames, not watching trailers, there needs to be something about a movie that interests you other than it's a movie that exists. Uh, there has to be something that that pulls you in, um, or there should be at least. And there's just nothing for that for me. And so I I just can't get it up for this one. Even a little. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. You know, you, you kind of mentioned that a little bit before. Um, I remember, you know, you're talking about the war with Grandpa. I remember seeing the trailer for Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Love C. Carell. Love Jennifer Gardner. Saw that trailer. Could not have given a crap less if I ever actually watched that movie. Yeah. But hey, I I, I don't really, really want to talk about this movie anymore. You want to move on? I'd be. The, I'd love to. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's start talking about another movie that I'm also kind of dreading watching and <laughs> or dreading talking about. Let's talk about Batteries Not Included. Batteries Not Included is a 1987 movie. Um, you really can't you can't find this to stream anywhere out of the, your like regular streaming service. I thought it was really interesting because this is a Disney movie, and you know this came out in 1987. I can't imagine there's much of a demand for this movie. How on earth is this not on Disney Plus? Anyway, that's just another rant uh, for the side that why. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's actually Amblin Entertainment, and God knows at this point how many different companies have bought and oh, um, sold other companies. But wait, I think even Amblin is Disney. You know what? I'm just gonna I'm gonna let you keep going because I think I, you're right. I, there's a good there's a chance I'm wrong. It just it felt like 80s. It felt like early 80s Disney. Like you know. Anyway, this is a. Uh, not available to stream anywhere uh, out of your typical. Right. Good luck movie. finding it, folks. That's yeah. I. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, w- without paying like 15 bucks for it, which is what I did. Um, synopsis for this movie is an apartment apartment block tenants seek the aid of alien mechanical life forms to save their building from demolition. Uh, just a little bit about this movie. This is a 6.4 on IMDb, a 59 on Metacritic, and a 63% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, Donald, what is your history with this movie? Real quick in a nutshell, um, whether because of or part of uh, ADHD, I've got absolutely no memory. I have very little memory, whether it's short-term, long-term, you name it. Um, High school is a handful of memory. College is maybe twice as many. We're talking like a couple of dozen. Uh, And it's one of those things where if I'm looking at pictures, reading yearbooks, 
watching movies, um, hearing songs from that time frame. You know, of course, memories come back, which is very, very helpful. Um, I was born in 1982. This movie came out in 87. I probably, I know I saw it in theaters because goodness knows we didn't do Blockbuster or anything else back then. <laughs> uh, so I probably saw it 87 or 88. So I was probably five or six years old. I don't remember the whole movie. I don't remember coming out and being like blown away or anything else. But I remember two scenes in particular, and I won't go too much into detail because we'll do that here in a little bit. I remember thinking that the aliens were really, really freaking cool because they they looked real. They really looked. And nowadays, of course, it would be, they look real because of the practical effects and also because it's a five-year-old watching it. Yep. Um, and I also remember there's a scene where one of the uh, characters in the movie is trying to take care of an older woman. Uh, the character is Carlos, and he goes to the hospital after a fire, and he brings her a bag of groceries. And um, Faye, the, the, the grandma or the wife, whoever, however you want to describe her, it just rejects him outright and just starts bawling. And he just kind of walks away from her and tosses groceries in the trash. I remember even at that young age, I started crying because it, I felt so bad for him because he was just trying to do the right thing and got rejected for it. So that's my history. Really cool, awesome looking aliens and heartbreak in a five-year-old's heart. All right. Uh, my history with this movie is I never knew it existed. When you suggested it, I was like, that sounds perfect for, for what we're going for, for these nostalgia picks. As it happens, uh, about a month ago, I was on Robert's podcast, and we were supposed to talk about Emma Stone, but for some reason, he, uh, he I'm not trying to sound bitter towards Robert, uh, he decided to change it from Emma Stone to talk about Brad Bird's filmography that week, and uh, Emma Stone is my crush, but Brad Bird is one of my main crushes, and so, um, 100%. so we talked about them, and I, lo and behold, find this movie in his filmography. Apparently, Brad Bird yep. uh, was a screenplay writer on this movie, and uh, and then you know, spent his time doing the iron giant after this. So, uh, which, you know, makes sense timetables wise. And, uh, and all that. so I, I watched it about a month ago. I'm going to I'm going to be a little fuzzy on some of these details because I didn't want to watch this movie again, at least this soon. I took down my notes and talked about it, uh, or took to my notes, and just saved them for this time. So I never heard of it. And then all of a sudden it came up twice in a relatively quick amount of time. So, uh, now that we've, both seen this again relatively recently. Donald, revisiting this movie, did you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? I think this is definitely one of those movies where sometimes you really sh- – kind of like the phrase, you shouldn't meet your heroes. Sometimes you really should not watch the movies that you loved as a kid because, boy, sometimes it's just, it's just not good. <laughs> um, so you mentioned Brad Bird, and uh, you and I spoke a little bit before we started recording this. One of the things that was rather interesting is, and I'm going straight off IMDb here, Brad Bird does have credit as the screenplay by. Now, the thing that's rather interesting to me is with the writing credits, I actually had to look into this. So according to IMDb, the credits are Brad Bird, Ampersand, Matthew Robbins, then the word and – Brent Maddock, Ampersand, S.S. Wilson. The reason why I point this out is because according to ScreenCraft.org, there actually is a very significant difference between Ampersand and the word and. Uh, But when the word and is found between the names of two or three different screenwriters, the credit is identifying two or three different writers that were attached to the project during separate drafts. Sometimes they can work together to form the final draft, but usually it points to different screenwriters attached at different times for various drafts. 
So the fact that this movie had one, two, three, four different screenplay people, that's usually not a good sign because I have researched and watched some movies and some scripts that have gone from development to end result. And sometimes what the concept was is so far from the end product, it's not even funny. And other times it's so close up to one specific thing. You're almost like, why did they even change it? Why didn't they keep it? Uh, Passengers with Chris Pratt and uh, Jennifer Lawrence is a great example of that. Read the screenplay, screenplay was great. It was line for line in line with the movie that was actually filmed until literally the last three pages, I think. And then it veered sharply to the left. Um, all that to say, um, I'm, it, it's one of those movies where you love it as a kid and then you rewatch it and you're like, man, I really didn't know too much as a kid, did I? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I, I want to make an amendment on what I said earlier. Apparently, you can find this movie to watch on HBO. It wasn't no. that way a month ago when both and I were, where both Donald and I were trying to watch this. Uh, but you can catch it on HBO now, apparently. So, uh, but I don't, I don't think either of us are going to re- recommend that you actually do this because I did not like this movie. I am probably pretty close to hating this movie. Uh, it's, wow. it's here's here's the problem it takes a lot for me to say i hate a movie right and like it has to be offensively bad and this movie just (laughs) this movie just isn't right well and even something that's like very offensively bad like the room or birdemic still has that quality of like no i didn't hate it i had a good time uh it's not a great it's not a good movie by any means but i had a good time this this is neither of those Uh, this is I don't know. It's, there's nothing offensively bad about it, but I can think of very little that I actually liked about this movie. And kind of talking about some of the, I just assumed that Brad Bird wrote this movie. Uh, I assumed that 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 was what went on. But I'm going to take a guess here. My guess is that Brad Bird wrote the screenplay for this movie, and then it was doctored by several people uh, because Brad Bird was a nobody. He had, this is his first credit on anything. Uh, so the story is by Mick Garris. So he he was the one that was trying to you know figure out what exactly um, should this movie look like. And he he has you know plenty of of writing credits. Uh, probably well, not really much before Batteries Not Included, but. Uh, uh, the Fly 2, Hocus Pocus is probably his most notable thing. Masters of Horror, Fear Itself, some of that stuff. Most recently, Nightmare Cinemas. and Not exactly what you would imagine for a lighthearted mid-80s PG family movie, right? Right. Well, and I would expect Brad Bird. So so my guess is is this guy, Mick Garris, had the story. And then Brad Bird, this new, new person on the scene, went ahead and did the screenplay. And then I'm guessing it was doctored. By several people because uh, Matthew Robbins, who directed this movie, also gets a screenplay credit. Uh, and he, um, Crimson Peak, uh, which I'm actually a pretty big fan of that movie. Don't be afraid of the dark. So it looks like he's done several things with Guillermo del Toro, uh, but really not a ton, especially he had a, nothing between 1997, or, 1997 and not a full, um, full film again until 2010. He had done some shorts. I- I do find it interesting, uh, kind of going back to the George Miller type thing, I do find it fascinating that this, again, lighthearted, supposedly family romp from the mid-80s had people in it who have such a pedigree in the more horrific type movies as opposed to what this actually was. Probably. Yeah. probably. And, well, and this guy probably also got the job because he directed Dragon Slayer in, for the 1981, and they probably wanted that kind of vibe. But like the other the other writers for this is uh, Brett Maddock and S.S. Wilson. 
uh, are kind of a writing duo. They probably right. most notably did uh, well Short Circuit the year before this. So I guarantee I know why they said help write batteries not included because this feels like a Short Circuit knockoff. And uh, so Short Circuit came out the year before batteries not included. They also wrote Short Circuits 2, and they wrote the original Tremors. They wrote Ghost Dad and Heart and Souls, which I've talked about on the podcast sometimes, as well as Wild Wild West, that 1999 classic, as we all know, right? <laughs> now, let's just let's just be very clear. If you got to watch batteries not included to ensure that that writing doer that come up with Tremors is able to do what they do with Tremors, you just got to deal with it because, come on, it's friggin' tremors. <laughs> yeah, so my so my guess is Brad Bird wrote this, uh, and then they were like, well, he's just a newbie to Hollywood. We got to doctor his stuff up a little bit. And so, uh, you know, yeah. let's let's hire the, the people that did Short Circuit. And, uh, and then Matthew Robbins, just being the director, also just kind of wanted to tinker with it a little bit. And if you're going to have three screenplay credits, why not four? So that's, that's my guess on how this happened. And that just sounds like a recipe for disaster. And to me, that's exactly what this movie was. There's, there's very little I liked about this movie, but I do want to talk about some of the positive. I I think, uh, you know, I don't want to be negative this whole time, uh, even though that's, Oh, come on. Let's go dark. Let's keep it dark. Let's just stay that way. I, I feel like I want to I want to put one thing out right off the bat. Frank Frank and Faye, the the characters here in in this uh, in this movie, the two main characters, the old uh, couple, uh, are played by yep. Hume Cronin and Jessica Tandy. I think Jessica yep, Tandy's fantastic. Really, they were. This is something I didn't know until twenty minutes before the show started. Uh, they were married in real life for right. a while. I didn't know, and that's like you could see that charm play by these feel like like a couple that have been lived in and so the black and white photos that were used in the opening credits were actual real life photos of the couple who had been married for decades and that it shows it, it you can you can tell that the two of these love each other and they have good chemistry because when you're married to somebody for decades say, they have a chemistry that they have a chemistry that you really can't fake they they really bring it to there that's for sure yeah and I'll, I'll have more to say about them. But my other my other note is this movie does have little sparks of charm that I could definitely see Brad Bird's fingerprints on. But like I said, my theory is Brad Bird wrote this and then everybody kind of tweaked it up and doctored it and so ruined most of the really charming moments. I think if this would have been just a bad Brad Bird screenplay, maybe he could even direct it. This would have been a much uh, better movie because, I mean, the, first of all, the concept's not really interesting. The conceit of this movie is really kind of dumb. I mean, they're they're operating this little diner and this big business is trying to push them out. And it's like, it just... I think my biggest takeaway was it's a typical 80s family movie. Like, the the, the best way I could link it is, um, are you familiar with the movie Beethoven, St. Bernard? Yeah. Uh, it's that kind of thing. The bad guys do bad things to an almost comical extent because they're bad guys and that's what they do. The good people are like these helpless good people who are always up against, you know, not the man, not the system. They're just always struggling because that's what good people do. Um, and the movie just kind of serves at, yeah, just there, there's a lot of things that as a kid you don't catch that as an adult you do. And you're kind of like, damn it, I need to watch this again with a five-year-old's mind, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. That's the best way I can describe it. Where When you're a five-year-old, because again, I'm watching this as a five- or six-year-old, and I'm watching basically stop-motion robots that are blowing my brain and just amazed by it, whereas, yeah, as the adult, I'm like, okay, this is stupid. This guy is comical. This guy would get sued. This guy would get arrested, like, in a heartbeat. You know, th- there is a point where... 
um, you kind of want to turn your brain off, and that's where you get things that enjoyable like Sharknado and Piranha. But then you've got movies that are still trying, but when they do it badly, it just it doesn't work out as well, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm I'm 100% with you. It's one of those things where, um, yeah, I'm gonna, uh, Aaron, I'm gonna freely give you the dirty look for ruining one of my childhood memories because it's one of the few I got left right now. Oh, I'm I'm sorry for ruining memories. Like, like you I are think, not. Like, like I said, I think there's a I think there's a good movie in here. I think that you could see Brad Bird's fingerprints into into doing something that's just charming, and I think that I I think that the scene that you mentioned at the very beginning of. Uh, of the Car- Carlos taking uh, Faye some groceries and her, which I think that has Brad Bird all over it. And I think a lot of the robots have Brad Bird's like, charm to it, like the way that humans interact with the robots. I think, I think there's a good movie in here, but I think this is a, a classic example of, of studio interference of hiring too many writers to do. And this, this is not complex for multiple writers. Like we were talking about ten. you were talking about tenant earlier that Christopher Nolan single-handedly wrote that movie. And it took four people to make this. Right. Piece of crap. <laughs> yes. here's, here's what I think happened. Here's what I think happened. And this is, this is, hearsay, speculation, wildly rampant guessing. I think, because one of the things that's really interesting about this is the fact that, you know, I mentioned that these robots blew my mind. The robots and the effects were done by ILM, Industrial Lights and Magic. And this is 1987, so this is still pretty early in their career. Okay. I think that ILM had some guys that were like, hey, look at this awesome, cool stop motion. Um, You know, I'll freely admit I haven't done any... Uh, behind the scenes films on it. I God only knows if you could actually even find any on it. But I think there were some guys at ILM that were like, look at these awesome little mini robots that we're doing. And somebody in the production in the production department goes, Well, either we're gonna pay you a paycheck and you're gonna just keep playing around like everyone imagines we do at ILM. Or how about you guys just go ahead and find a couple of sets, do what you're doing anyway. We'll kind of throw together a script. What's the biggest star that we can get for a moderate budget? Hugh Cronin, Jessica Tandy, you know they're going to bring in their A game. We'll flesh out a couple of extra people. Uh, Elizabeth Pena, I think this is one of her earliest roles. Let's basically have a film that more serves as a platform for all this cool visuals that we're doing, kind of like Johnny Five. I mean, for God's sake, like Short Circuit, it's cute, but it's about one of the dumber movies you might actually ever watch. And I even thought that back when I saw it as a kid. That's only a year before Batteries Not Included. But Johnny Five annoyed the crap out of me. Batteries Not Included made me cry. But at the same time, the one thing both of those movies had in common was the fact that the robots were just awesome for the time frame. So I'm pretty sure if nothing else, this was just kind of like almost like a sizzle reel for ILM. Hey, look what we can do. And by the way, there's a script that kind of ties it all together. You know, I I'd be willing to buy into that too, and maybe it's a combination of both of them. I kind of I kind of really want you know how there's been a lot of documentaries coming about about recently yeah. about people that are like exploring how on earth did this possible. I want somebody to make a documentary about how the crap this movie happened and turned out the way that it did. <laughs> I would no, watch I that think, in a heartbeat. I think that would be a good one because you know, um, I mean, and here's the thing again. Folks, it's not like we're going 100% off IMDb.com except, well, it's freaking IMDb.com. So, I mean, what else are you going to go off of? Uh, it's got a 24 or $25 million budget. Oh, I saw 35 uh, Okay, cool. Even better. Uh, I, saw I was going to mention that. How on earth did this movie spend $35 million? This looks like it well, was made for 
you know, a tin can. <laughs> oh, 25. 25, well, you're right. This movie looks like, all right, so I live in Iowa, and Iowa has the can refund, where if you buy a 12-pack of Coke, you bring the cans back, and they give you five cents per can. I mean, you have to pay for the five cents of the can you know, upright. <laughs> it's just to encourage you to recycle. This movie looks like I could take in a, a 12, you know, uh, some of the pop cans I have lying around, my, lying around my house. Go take them, get that five-cent redemption, and make the movie based off of that. And it's only like six bucks each time. This movie looks... Just so so poor. Um, I, it, it, like like with the budget, like the 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 set doesn't look um, like it cost a nickel. Probably probably you're right. Probably the stop motion and the uh, the but it's practical effects too. Like that and they look uh, like they look sloppy because they're intended to look sloppy. So they probably just took here's a trash can lid. Let, yeah, let's just you know combine a lampshade with that and there you go. There's a there's an alien. It's like oh yeah, it's 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 mind blowing that it gets done, but. You know, the simple fact of the matter is it made its money back. Uh, looks like cumulative worldwide gross was $65 million, so it made a profit, which can't argue with that, especially when it comes to Hollywood math. Right. Um, but really at the end of the day, what it just comes down to is, you know, it's it's one of those movies that I hadn't seen again since watching it the first time in theaters. Uh, God, what is it, 2020? I don't even want to do the math on how far – how long ago that was. <laughs> But I hadn't even thought of it again until you and I were discussing, uh, you know, possible movies for this uh, blurb to look over, and uh, that kind of says the whole thing. It was one of those things where, um, you know, I, I think if I had one wish, and you can't wish for a million wishes, and blah 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 blah, I really do think if I had one wish, it would be, I wish that I could re-experience things like I did the first time. Like, what did that first kiss feel like? What did that first date feel like? Um, mm. There are times I wish I could go back and appreciate things like I did when I first saw it. So like I said, I saw this when I was six years old and it blew my mind. I saw it when I was 38 years old and I'm like, wow, this is crap. So yeah, I'd be okay with watching this again and just enjoying the fact that these robots are moving on the screen and imagining that they're real, you know? Yeah, I have one more positive note to say and then I'm ready to just go off on this movie. <laughs> the The aliens are fun. They are. They really are. Aren't they just charming? It's, I mean, it, 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 they, they are charming. They are. They are really. They are really fun. They're really charming. They're really sweet. They are hands down the best part about this movie, uh, and especially seeing the way that they interact with Faye. I, I, the aliens oh, yeah. are charming. They are fun. You can see Brad Bird all over this. That's. I, I wish I had the the kind of the same wish that you were talking about about how wanting to relive the same things first off, uh, for, you know, with fresh eyes again, or with a you know as the first time again and. Man, I I also have another wish. I, I kind of want Brad Bird to remake this movie, just him writing and directing. I, I think I think there would be something there. I really do. I'd watch I, it. I, I for sure would watch that. I'm really not interested in ever watching this version of this movie again. So I, I'm ready to just go off on some of the stuff that I just didn't like about. I already talked about the whole conceit of this movie is just kind of dumb because there is, there is still, this building does not occupy much space. There is plenty of space for whatever they're trying to build. They don't need to tear down this building. Also, we're made, we're made to think that this company has literally infinite, infinity amount of money. And I don't care how loyal you are to your place, especially people this old, there is no way that they didn't get offered a, a, an extensive settlement package that would that they would have said no to. I mean, it's it, just ridiculous. They're they're a little too old. Um, no, it makes no sense. It makes absolutely no it, sense. It doesn't. I, 
I will point out, though, one interesting thing. In doing research behind this movie, because, like, again, first time I saw it, I was a kid. I didn't know what research even was. Now, as an adult, that's all that I do. Um, it was interesting. Um, Roger Ebert actually liked this movie. Part of what I love about fantasy and sci-fi, those are my two biggest tropes, both in reading and movies. I love what it says about how we view things, about how we view either our present or our future, where we're going, that kind of thing. And what was interesting was the fact that uh, Roger Ebert basically said, um, the, as characters in the movie, the saucers represent a cross between E.T. Cocoon and Short Circuits. E.T., the notion of playful aliens. Cocoon, the idea that a force from beyond Earth could help make life joyful for old people. And Short Circuit, ideas how machines can be given personalities and made to seem cute. And just says that this cross-fertilization had been invented by cynical minds in Hollywood. Stranger things have happened. I mean, I will say, uh, you know, you mentioned Short Circuit and this were written by the same one. Maybe they try to take Short Circuit and try to be a little bit more grown up, a little bit more dark. I just don't think the subject matter lends itself to that. But well, I, and the, tone of, the tone of this movie is light and fluffy and playful. And maybe that's the director's the interference. Time, well, because at the same time, you're talking about the, the mindless mid-80s punks trying to beat up old people and like arson them out of their homes and businesses. How is that light and playful? Yeah. But it's played that way, which is why it's so confusing. You're like, ha ha, we almost burned to death. Wait, that's horrible. What are we talking about? Right. Yeah. Also, all right. So also the bad guy is just so over the top bad guy. He literally, he literally hires a thug to beat up these old people. So they will sell their bill. It's like, Bad guy's got a bad guy, I guess. <laughs> All it takes is the smallest question or the smallest, but why did, and the whole thing falls apart. Exactly. Yep. I, I mentioned the actors and actresses earlier, like the two leads being having good chemistry, but they're not necessarily good. Um, no, no, they're no, not. nobody in this movie is. And not only that, I don't think any of these characters are even very likable. I mean, not I think, really. I think Carlos has a turn where he, um, where you want to root for him at some time, but you know, then he still burns down the building and like, yeah. none of the, I don't really want to root for any of these characters. And I mean, yeah. you, you, you also need that in how hard is it to make a kid's movie about old people where, where you love, what do you love them? Like that's, this is the only one that, that's ever had, that has ever been the opposite in my experience. It's just, I don't know, the, right. the, the, the characters are just not lovable. Not really. No, I'm 100% with you. I mean, so. except, except for the, the aliens. Um, and I, gosh, they, they try to do a, a bait and switch or they try to do like a big emotional pull at the end by revealing that their son has been dead for right. a long time. And Faye, you know, keeps asking when's Bobby coming home. And it's so obvious from the very beginning that she is thinking of a person that has, has passed for a while. It's so obvious. And they wait till the very last second to pull that punch. And it's like, I knew 10 minutes into the movie. I knew as soon as you said, is Bobby back? Like I knew, I knew either he's dead or he ran away and like stole all your money like 20 years ago and just doesn't want to come back. One of the two. And then the ending is just the icing on the crap cake. It's this, it's, it's, it's so ridiculous and not in a good way. I love me a good ridiculous movie, but this (laughs) is not in a good way that Carlos, 
Carlos also would have been killed by the blast, like immediately. He he's able to like run away from the fire in this exploding right. building. That like that was ridiculous, and the whole for the whole building would have been immediately blown. He exposed so much natural gas that would it would have blown up six city blocks in an instant. Like because he was like you know cutting all the stove lines. All, and then lastly, of course, the aliens completely rebuild everything from scratch, even though all they have done this whole time is just rebuild things. They fix or they they fix things, not rebuild. They fix things. They don't ever rebuild anything. So why on earth am I meant to believe that they're gonna be able to rebuild this building exactly the way it's ridiculous? Because that's how movies work, Aaron. That's how kids' movies work, right, right, right. That's right, exactly right. Gosh. <laughs> just is it too much to just want good kids' movies? I mean, I'm glad that we're there now. For the I mean, for the most part, there's you know, every now and then still, you know, a, <laughs> right. a minions or something like that, but well, sometimes you need to leave the past in the past. All right. Well, that answers that that question. Then I was going to ask you: is, is is this a movie that, if you remember thinking of this from your childhood, that would you recommend somebody else check this? Would, would you recommend anybody watch this movie in any given context? Uh, Maybe that's not a, really because we've already talked about how you said you said that I loved it as a kid. I would not re- recommend revisiting it. I just, I'm trying to think. I mean, you mentioned you had a one year old. Uh, will you show her this when she's five? Oh God, no! There's so many better things to show. That's fair. It's not because I wonder about like showing people things from their childhood. Like even obviously, like you know, just I'm going to take this as an example, but like something like Moana. Like obviously, it's visually really good, and I mean, you have the musical element, which which you know, especially kids. Well, I mean, everybody likes, right? Uh, um, but right, you know. But I was just. I'm curious. Like, I still think there's there's merit in showing people older films, especially kids, especially older older movies like that, because they they don't have the experience that we have. Where like this is just a dumb movie because they're willing to forgive all of that. And to some degree, huh. I want to think like a child. But are you ready to stop talking about batteries not included? Because I am. Are you ready to stop talking about a movie that neither one of us actually really enjoyed on reviewing? Yes, yeah, I am. <laughs> really even wanted to talk about in the first place. <laughs> Cool. Well, well, you did too, and then you watched it. That's true. That's true. Uh, we we're gonna move on to our B plot this week, and we had something uh, in mind that we're gonna save save for a later day because we were supposed to talk about Black Widow uh, for our coming attraction because this is what was supposed to come out. And Donald picked this week specifically because he's such a big fan of Scarlett Johansson, and I I wanted to give him uh, a, a platform to talk about that, and I I, th- I think that. Uh, um that this this is gonna be good now we are excluding the the mcu because i'll be talking about that with ben during the month of december and so uh, we will be ex- i will be excluding talking about that i told i told uh, donald that he could talk about that uh very briefly if he would like but i i think that i i think that at this point i think we kind of understand that she's a good actress but when she was first cast she was very underrated uh for from a lot of people's eyes and uh, because you know her role in the MCU and subsequent films, I mean, have given her quite the career. And uh, yeah, this is uh, some really some really good uh, good stuff here. And uh, and I yeah, I figured this is this is a conversation that we can just talk about. She doesn't have a terribly big filmography, and uh, I mean, there's some really it's it's very it's varied uh, in a lot of different ways. And uh, yeah, uh, what, you want to kick us off, Donald? You want to say anything about her as Black Widow? Sure. I mean, uh, her as Black Widow isn't really something. I mean, I was I was very much looking forward to seeing the movie, and then you know, COVID hit, the world changed, and that was the end of that. Um, so it was one of those things where um, I really do feel like 
100% that Scarlett Johansson just does not get the credit that she has deserved, almost like Ben Foster. I think Ben Foster might get a lot more credit just because of the roles that he chooses are so diverse, um, whereas Scarlett Johansson, um, she still has some very diverse roles, just not to the same extent. I mean, she's, I think in about 85% of the things that she does, she's the love interest of some type. Well, hey, let's dive into some of those then. You, I have a unique experience with you, Lucy, because I grew up 40 minutes outside of Chicago. And so there were opportunities to go to film screenings. And I mean, those were relatively limited. And I, I only got to go to two film screenings, uh, advanced film screenings in my entire life that weren't just, you know, like I saw Knives Out like two weeks before it came out because they were just selling tickets to the public. But two weeks before it came out, I was like, yeah, I'm seeing that. But um, <laughs> but I only I only got to see two uh, movies in release. And I'm going to say these and, and somebody out there is going to cringe because like man what two awful movies for an early i saw i saw red dawn about uh, about a month before it came out and i saw lucy about a week before it came out the red dawn remake ah. obviously because i wasn't alive when the first red dawn came out <laughs> and so, and, and i was so so and, and here's the deal i've said it on the floor i really i kind of really liked that movie um and i i haven't seen it in a while i'm afraid to go back but i don't know i yeah, don't rewatch it. No, I think I'm going to because I, I I liked that movie. I, I saw it several times, and so, uh, but you know, Scarlett Johansson's not in Red Dawn. I, I saw Lucy about a week in advance, and they uh, they had uh, I got it through a radio contest. I got the 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 Red Dawn ones through Ain't It Cool News with Capone, who used to write for for Ain't It Cool uh, before cool. before Harry Knowles turned out to be. A, well, I mean, apparently he was a total d bag the whole time, but. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, so I got to see that through, or so I got to see Lucy through a uh, local radio station uh, having a contest, and uh, you know, I, I I had a good time. I uh, man, th- this movie is dumb, uh, but it's fun. Oh, totally. And, and, oh, totally. And, and sure, I don't buy into any of the science there, but I, I had a good time, and I haven't seen it in a while, and I, I don't know how much it would like really replay. It's not a movie that I'm necessarily going to choose, but heck, I'd pick this over Fast and Furious. Oh, God, in a heartbeat. I mean, okay, not the original, because the original is still dope. Lucy's is definitely one of those things I would not encourage you to rewatch it. It does not get better with repeat watchings. I think it is a great movie to show people who haven't ever seen it before and wouldn't consider watching it. The visuals are fantastic and they're fun. I mean, come on, it's with Basson. How can it not be? That's true. But yeah, it, it takes about a half a second of going, well, how come she couldn't? anything and you're like wait this whole thing just doesn't work <laughs> well yeah and the fact that essentially her biological mind is working faster and smart i mean it, it, it's, it it makes more it would make more sense if she had a completely computerized mind but yeah it makes absolutely no sense but the, the movie makes no sense but like i said this is this is dumb fun and you know if i'm exactly. looking if i'm in the mood for dumb fun i might i just might pop on lucy and you know i yep yeah, yeah I, i'm I mean, not gonna apologize for that 100 percent and you know, I mean, I, I honestly can't think of another actress that can really pull it off. I'm like, Emma Stone, to use your example. No. Reese Weatherspoon, no. Um, Olivia Munn. Hey, don't you tell me my girl Emma Stone can't do anything. She can do anything her heart desires to do, and I will support her. Will you? Would you watch Lucy filmed exactly as is but with Emma Stone? Because I'm sorry I wouldn't do it. I, I just couldn't get into it. Look, I will stare at Emma Stone eat potato chips for an hour and a half. Fair enough, but she can't. <laughs> that is cinema. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. Okay, I'll give you that as long as it's important. <laughs> but yeah, so so Lucy, again, just one of those just dumb, fun – like that to me kind of is that summer blockbuster. Um, you know, the uh, Lucy, 
she uh, kind of followed that up with um, – it, it happened a little bit beforehand. Uh, Under the Skin, a very uh, – apparently a movie that both you and I have seen. Yep. A very, very polarizing film. You either love it or you, from what I understand, really, really hate it. Um, having read a little bit about it, I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was fun. Um, what, were, what were your thoughts on Under the Skin? Because it's definitely, it's definitely a unique movie. Yeah, yeah. I just want to make a, a clarity. Under the Skin came out before uh, Lucy, Lucy did. Um, yes. Sorry. So if I misstated that, you were correct. My experience was I saw it when it came out because I heard of the buzz and because, you know, typically with these sci-fi B movies, you don't get a big name. Let's call it Johansson attached, let alone. I mean, she, this is, this is peak of her career because she's done MCU so far yep. at this point. And so, um, you know, well, I mean, maybe like she's, she's still riding that peak, but you know, this is definitely full blown a lister Scarlett Johansson at this point. And, uh, yep. I didn't like it when I saw it. I just don't think I understood it though, because with this came out in like 2013, I would have been 18. And I mean, frankly, frankly, there was one big reason why I definitely chose to watch this sci-fi B movie for obvious reasons. You probably know what that is. Cause I was an 18 year old guy, sure. but uh, I'm interested in revisiting it um, because I'm, you know, now that I, uh, I mean, I'm just not interested in that kind of stuff as much anymore. And I think that the movie, uh, from what I understand, from what I remember about it, uses that in a really uh, interesting way. And so I, I think I think I was just distracted and didn't understand it. So that led to me thinking I didn't like it. And I don't know where I stand on it, but I do own it because I plan on watching it again. And But I've owned it. Like, <laughs> it was one of those like Black Friday. It was on the Blu-ray was on sale for like three or four bucks. And I was like, yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. I've, I've heard it's worth revisiting. So and that was like two, three years ago and I haven't seen it. So I paid four bucks for for like a, at least three year rental. So I have not, uh, I have not read the book that it's based on. I understand the book is very, very good. According to the reviews on Amazon, at least I will say that I went into it knowing that she's basically just, she's a seductress and that's pretty much it. And yep. I think it's a fantastic, fantastic role for her. Basically, if you go into it, viewing her as literally, she is seducing men like that is her purpose and not in a seductive way, in a very analytical bringing the, the dumb calf to the slaughterhouse type way. Sure. Um, there's a scene where she pulls up and is talking to some guy in the van and she's talking to him and you can see her eyes are alive. She's got a playful smile on her face. You can tell from the tone of voice. She's kind of just in that flirty little mode. And then she pulls away, and I'm not even talking. It doesn't even take a half a second. Her face just goes completely blank. The light goes out of her eyes. She's back to just that hunting mode. She, and you, you get this creepy feeling. She's literally putting up a facade that she knows will invite a reaction. And then when her audience, in this case guys that she's hunting basically, aren't actually watching her, her the real her comes out, which is just a – blank shell that one scene i was like holy crap that was actually a little creepy it's not a fantastic movie it's not it didn't deserve to win academy awards or anything else but i think um i think it definitely deserves a second glance i would definitely say rewatch it when you're kind of in that more interesting mindset sure yeah well i want to i want to transition us to that in another movie that i saw once a while back and i i i haven't seen it since although i do remember really liking this one and i would like to revisit it again i want to talk about we bought a zoo i had, couldn't remember she was in this but i remember thinking this movie was charming and and delightful and good and i don't know why i haven't seen it and i, I saw it not too long after it came out but 
this movie's good. Maybe I'm just too cynical and old and beaten down by life to really get this into it. But yeah, uh, the, the We Bought a Zoo, I kind of follow into that Grandpa's War and Alexander's No Good, Horrible Day, where it's like popcorn fluff movie with some shockingly A-lister actors in it for whatever reason. Maybe they needed a kitchen redone or something else along those lines. That's definitely in that category of literally if my wife is watching it, I'll be like, cool, I'm going to go in the other room and do anything else. My what about this movie did you make? My recollection of this movie is that it's really good. It's very well acted. Um, it, it does have some very charming moments and it does have some dramatic weight to it. Um, that's all I remember. I'm really interested in checking this out again. Speaking as a dramatic lead, but a dramatic lead who's really surprising. Um, I mean, how can we not mention Jojo Rabbit? Yep. I'm right there with you. I mean, you want to talk about another one of those movies that I, I hesitate to use the word perfection, except if you said, okay, make any improvements anywhere. I don't know. I actually honestly could. I, I just couldn't do it. It's like make a better casting, make a better direction with art direction, with acting, with ca- with anything. And I'd just be like, I got absolutely nothing. You know, I mean, it's just phenomenal and it's heartbreaking and it's hilarious and you you laugh and immediately cry. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, Jojo Rabbit's excellent. I, it was my third favorite movie of last year. Uh, I've seen it several times. It's very rewatchable. Um, the the moment, you know the moment, if you've seen the movie, uh, doesn't quite hit uh, the same way as it did that very first time. Uh, but it's because you know it's coming and you know when it's coming. But it's really fun to watch this movie with people that haven't seen it and watch their reactions. Oh, God, yes. With the butterfly. Oh, my yep. God. Yeah, so, uh, but yeah, this movie's excellent. I think Taika Waititi nails uh, his portrayal as imaginary Hitler as well as, I think, uh, sometimes the tones conflict, but I think that any other director would not have handled the the both serious and silly tones as well as he did. Not even remotely. I I think it would have been much more stark and not quite as, as fluid and solid, which is... You know, it's not incredibly fluid. It's a little chunky, but, uh, but yeah, this movie's excellent. I loved it. It's absolutely fantastic, and I will absolutely say, like, Taito Watiki. I mean, it's not that he can't do any wrong, but I haven't seen any wrong yet. And the fact that he is going to be, or at least the last I heard, was going to be doing some of the new Star Wars movies is like the only hope I still have for my childhood that Star Wars can still come back and whoop ass and take names. If he's doing it. Yep. Well, hey, I'm going to keep us in World War II era, and I'm going to talk about Isle of Dogs. I saw this movie when it came out. I think it's excellent. I am not the biggest Wes Anderson fan. I think probably Grand Budapest Hotel is my favorite. Uh, this is very close to that. This is this is really good. Uh, she's the narrator of this movie, but th- this movie is charming. This movie is, is sweet. This movie is very well done. No, and I'm I'm with you, and I hate to say it, as much of a cinephile as I am, I cannot do Wes Anderson. I swear to God, I wish I could. I think every five years or so, I try to do a Wes Anderson film, whether it's Tenenbaums or Life Aquatic or just something, and it's like I can appreciate what he's doing. I just hate everything he does. <laughs> and yep. I think a big part of that is just the simple fact that um, my humor, I, I can't do quirky. I can't do awkward. Like, I cannot stand The Office to save my life. Yep. Do you got one that you want to transition into? Uh, um, no, but I do want to talk uh, just because this is my one chance to actually get on my nerd soapbox against my fellow nerds. I want to discuss Ghosts in the Shell because from what I understand, you have seen the anime. I have seen the movie. 
you have not seen the movie, maybe seen the trailers. I have seen parts of the anime. Am I correct? That is very correct. I was interested in seeing the movie when it came out, but uh, didn't largely because of both critic and audience reaction. Right. I didn't like the anime though. I, I just, it just comes from, I'm not an anime fan. Never have been. It's just not my cup of tea. The closest I'll touch is Studio Ghibli, but even then I don't really love some of the more popular Studio Ghibli stuff. I don't like Spirited Away. Uh, but I really like uh, House Movie Castle and Castle in the Sky, and I love Grave of the Fireflies. Uh, that's about as close as I'll get to, to some of that stuff. So, no, nah, I didn't really like Ghost of the Shell. It was just not my thing. Yeah, I will say, if you can go in with an open mind to it, uh, and not even one of these open minds like Under the Skin or Under Skin, um, just Ghost in the Shell is just a fantastic sci-fi movie. The thing that really does irritate me, and I will say this, is I watched – a lot of the making of like, I love this movie so much. I actually have a book, the art of ghost in the shell. And it's the, uh, it's like a studio breakdown book of all of the production design from the ghost in the shell book. The thing that really irritates me is the director, Rupert Sanders. He is on record as saying he doesn't believe in directors cut movies, which is kind of frustrating because the team that Scarlett Johansson is with in this movie has some really diverse actors and actresses, and they are really fantastic. But when you watch the actual final cut of the movie, I think they're on they're on screen for thirty seconds each. I think I've actually you can actually find more making of Ghost in the Shell with her team than her team actually has on screen, which is so frustrating. Because why else would you assemble such an eclectic cast if you're not going to use them? Um, but when it comes to Scarlett Johansson specifically, the thing that I thought was fascinating to me was that uh, Shiro uh, Masamune, who I believe was the creator of this, he's on record of saying Scarlett Johansson is absolutely fantastic. Uh, in fact, he was interviewed by The Hollywood Reporter and said, looking at her career, I think Scarlett Johansson is well cast. She has a cyberpunk feel, and we never imagined it would be a Japanese actress in the first place. This is just a chance for Japanese property to be seen around the world. It's it's that kind of thing, you know? It's just appreciate what you've got because visually it was phenomenal. The story has got some holes in it. It doesn't line up 100% with the anime. It's still a hell of a fun movie, so appreciate it for what it is and just go with it. And, and since we're talking sci-fi, I'm going to train to uh, move us to more sci-fi. And her, I didn't see her until uh, probably about, I think, this summer. Uh, maybe a little bit before then. Uh, I, I I really like this movie, but this is a good example of a movie that I don't really want to ever see again. Yeah. Um, I, it's hard to describe. Like I remember, I'm like, this is really good. I don't love it. I think I really like this movie. I just I, I don't really desire to see it again uh, for various reasons. It's it's maybe a little long. It's it's got some awkward subject matter. Uh, Spike Jonesy is ha- does some interesting choices with some stuff. Yeah. I, I'm not high on this movie. I'm also not low on this movie. I just, um, I really like this movie. I just, I, I sold my copy because I just don't desire to see it again. <laughs> nope. Yeah. A hundred percent. And you know, the thing that's interesting uh, about that is I think one of the, I think her was the first movie uh, that really kind of made me actually start paying attention to Scarlett Johansson. And it was for the exact same reason that uh, V for Vendetta really convinced me that Hugo Weaving was a fantastic actor. Uh, have you seen Fever Vendetta? Oh, yeah. I'm talking about that uh, next week with Ben. Oh, even better. So Hugo Weaving, you, you see nothing of him. He is just wearing that Guy Fox mask. And yet you feel 
every single range of emotion possible, better than I think a lot of actors are able to do with their whole faces and bodies. And all he's doing is using his voice. And I think one thing that was really fascinating uh, for you and I when we were researching Scarlett Johansson movies was how many movies she's done where it's just her voice. Uh, her is obviously a really good example, but The Jungle Book, uh, I had completely forgotten that she was Ka, and I thought that that, uh, that was a brilliant change to yeah, have yeah. Ka, a female, very soft, seductive type voice, but she's got a phenomenal voice. She really does. And I, I hadn't really even realized it until we started looking at how many things she just does. It's only her voice. It's not even her being an actress. Yeah. And well, and I think, you know, kind of moving us into jungle book, this is my favorite Disney live action remake. Uh, this. Oh, it's fantastic. John Favreau. I mean, he can't do anything wrong. I, I really appreciated this one. And this is my defense of why I think that the, the Disney live animation ones, uh, live action ones can be good, is because Jungle Book is done really well. I really like this uh, this version. I yeah, I think I think Favreau killed it. I think visually it, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, they didn't take too too many liberties with the original material either, and but it, but it also doesn't feel like copy and paste. So uh, this is how you do it. Yeah, and I mean, oh my God, Christopher Walken as King Louie. My, my favorite, my favorite thing about that movie is as they're entering King Louis's lair, you can, you can see a dusty old cowbell, and then yep. Christopher Walken playing that. That's my that's my very favorite trivia fact out of any of the Disney live oh, actions. I was in tears, and it, but yeah, it was just so good. But kind of just sleeping back around, the voice casting was fantastic. But yeah, the fact that Scarlett Johansson is viewed at as a phenomenal voice actress. I mean, yeah, hundred percent. She. You've got to be top of your craft to be able to inflect with your voice enough to where you really can't come across that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I have one other role here where she plays a voice actress and that is uh, she's apparently in the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. She plays Mindy, King, uh, the King Neptune's daughter. And I never knew that. And that right, was Sam, a shocker to me. Uh, I'm going to bow to your so. expertise on this one. I have yet to ever have anything SpongeBob. In fact, uh, I had a couple people at work uh, a couple weeks ago. Kind of say something to the effect of one week later. And I was like, what is that from? And they all looked at me like I was insane and said SpongeBob. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> I, I mean, that's fine. You said you're 38. It's just not quite your generation. Not really. Uh, I was at the point yeah. where I was just old enough to where I thought it was idiotic without actually being able to find the humor and the irony. I have been the age really the whole time where, yep, it is idiotic and I do find the humor. Uh, ah. I, I think the movie, I think the first movie is quite charming though. I, I kind of like it. I just, Never knew, but now I'm not going to ever unhear that. So uh, you're welcome for for ruining that uh, yeah, for whenever, whenever we decide to rewatch them. So other things that are notable of mention is, uh, I mean, she was in Home Alone 3. This would be a perfect example of a movie that I should do nostalgia because I loved yeah. this movie as a kid. It was my preferred Home Alone movie. I'm sure it's I, that's the wrong opinion, but I had a lot of fun. I, I would really like to see that again. And yeah, especially now that she has become something. We both have se- we both have seen Don John. Um, this is a movie that I did not like. Um, how really? did you feel about Don oh, John? I thought it, I, I actually really liked it. I Joseph Gordon Lovett. I think it's just not fair. You shouldn't be allowed to look like him, act like him. If you've ever watched him on YouTube, on anywhere playing music, you sh- you should not be allowed to be that handsome and that talented. That's just Stop wrecking the curve for all of us. So the fact that I think this was his first movie that he both wrote and directed, I know he did at least one, if not both. It was one of those where I didn't know what I was getting into, so I really wasn't sure what to expect. It's it's kind of like 500 Days of Summer for me as well, another one of his movies. I can see it every decade or so, and I don't need to see it that I don't need to see it more often than that. 
it's a good movie. It catches me by surprise, but you know, if I never saw it again in my life, I'd be okay with it. I just, I was surprised by how much, how enjoyable it was the first time I saw it. The, the, uh, the thing that really made me not like this movie is the way that he handles his religion, uh, which I think that the way that that is presented is accurate to, to the way that a lot of people experience religion as, as, and as somebody who is frustrated with the way that people, uh, both religious and not think upon and look upon, uh, religious people, it, it just rubbed me the wrong way. And I, I think, you know, it's very clearly he believes something and then does everything that doesn't reflect that. And I think part of that is the purpose of the movie, but it just rubbed me the wrong way. And I just have no interest in revisiting it. Fair enough. Um, and the last one that we have that uh, that we both have seen is Hail Caesar. Um, yeah. She has a very minor role in this movie. I've seen this once. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I think this this movie is one of the more underrated Coen Brothers ones, uh, or at least underseen. I think it just kind of came and went. But uh, no, this is, a, this is a good movie. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Uh, enjoyed it when I saw it. Confused by why it hasn't gotten more acclaim because, again, Coen Brothers – not that they can't all be winners, but for crying out loud, if everything's a 10, you hit a 9.5, it's going to be the bottom of the bunch, even if it's still a 9.5. And that's not to say Hail Caesar is, just, you know, in the Coen Brothers filmology, it's it's going to be down near the bottom, unfortunately. That's true. Yep. And then uh, one that I've seen that you apparently haven't yet is Marriage Story. I love Marriage Story. I think she's a fantastic actress in this movie. This is by far her best acted role. She's incredible. This this is an excellent, excellent movie. Very, very well performed. Um, um, anything involving divorce is always going to be hard for me. I've been uh, through a divorce. So um, I think a couple of years afterwards, there was, I want to say, a Ryan Gosling movie, like Blue is the Warmest Color or Blue October, Blue Crush. I'm pretty sure none of those are correct. Uh, you know, I just feel free to edit that whole last section out. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I love Marriage Story. I think it's excellent. I think that uh, I think that that's her best performance to date, which is encouraging because we've kind of mentioned Peak, and she's not done with her Peak, and I, I, I think she's going to have an Oscar, and I think she will get a Best Lead Actress uh, Oscar at some point, and I would say at some point within the next five or ten years, if not sooner. And yeah, I think she's going to have an incredible career ahead of her. And that's all that I have. I know you have the island and the horse whisperer here. Do you want to say anything about either of those? That is a definition of a blockbuster movie that actually does have some brains. Uh, Michael Clark Duncan, Scarlett Johansson, Hugh McGregor. I, you know, go into it expecting about a three on a scale of one to ten, and you'll be very happy with how you come out of it. What was the other one? The Horse Whisperer. The Horse Whisperer, yes. Uh, that was that was actually really surprising. I saw that when I was a very young kid, and I remember – I think that might have been the first drama I ever saw that I actually enjoyed. And I mean it, it's not fast. It's very slow. It's a Robert Redford film. So if you know anything about that, you know kind of where that's going. Um, but uh, I was uh, very surprised with how much uh, I liked it. And uh, it was 1998, so I would have been about – 10 years old or so, Robert Redford looking like Butch Cassie and Sundance Kids type age type thing. It was a sweet movie and it wasn't really what I was expecting. Solid 6.5 on IMDb.com. So uh, take it for what you will. If you're in that kind of mindset for a drama romance Western, I don't think you could get much better than this one. Well, hey, that's going to do for the B-plot. So let's move on to the spinoff. So real quick, uh, Donald, what is uh, one thing in the pop culture world that you want to tell everyone to watch or to avoid? All right. So I am looking for it right now because I swore I had the title correctly, and apparently I do not. So if you give me one moment. 
Uh, yeah, no, Never Surrender, a Galaxy Quest documentary. There it is. You got it. Galaxy Quest documentary. I am a huge fan of Galaxy Quest. I was one of the few people that it seems like I actually saw it in theaters. Not only saw it in theaters, saw it repeatedly. What I absolutely love about this, and uh, it is streaming as of this moment on Amazon Prime, if not other places as well. Basically, it's a 20th uh, – it's a documentary talking about this movie. And one of the things I love about it is the fact that they interview everybody. I mean – Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, everyone except, uh, boy, I hope, rest in peace, Alan Rickman, because, boy, we lost him way too soon. Um, But basically, it is a combination of interviews with the actors, along with people that absolutely love Galaxy Quest, and, you know, to the point where they view it as kind of like the hidden Star Trek movie. Uh, My wife is a Trekkie. I'm a Star Wars fan. Don't know if we have names. Um, But... It's it's such a lighthearted but serious romp. Apparently, I did not know this, but apparently Tim Allen campaigned to get this role. I did not realize how big of a sci-fi junkie he actually was. But he didn't get this role because someone said, hey, we need someone kind of funny. Like He legitimately pursued this role, which was kind of fun to see. But Galaxy Quest is just one of those movies where you either love it or you probably don't even know about it. Um or maybe you've seen it once and you kind of don't get it. I mean, the humor is in the meta. So if you're kind of into like Lower Decks, Rick and Morty, kind of Archer, uh, if, if you're kind of finding the humor in the jokes that it's poking at itself, you really would love this. And Never Surrender is just – it's just a fantastic look at the making of this movie. It really is. So I, if you like Galaxy Quest, I cannot emphasize this enough. If you haven't seen it, you just need to go watch it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I might try to check out the movie before doing that. Definitely but, uh, do. Just, but if you don't, it won't. It won't kill you. There's enough going into it. It's it's designed with people that haven't even seen it. Hard to just kind of explain. Okay. Just explain the enthusiasm and the fervor behind it. Okay. Yeah. This uh, this is one of those movies I saw as a kid, and then uh, I don't remember anything about it. Um, but <laughs> I definitely saw it once or twice. Cool. Yeah. I might check out this documentary then, because I know that the movie itself is or miss for somebody i'm going to talk about uh, a documentary as well actually uh this is one that came out on hbo recently and i know that when this episode comes out um that the election will have election day will have already passed um from what everybody's saying i don't think we're actually going to have the results yet just yet but uh but this this is a documentary recently recently released by hbo you can catch it on at least hbo max Uh, i don't know if you if it's just hbo uh, if you can catch that, I'm, I think I think you can because it's an HBO ri- original. I just don't know how it works with HBO with HBO Max, all that. Now uh, it's called 537 Votes. Uh, this is uh, I, I'm both recommending and warning this uh, for for several reasons. Um, so this highlight this highlights and documents the 2000 elections, okay. specifically just in the year 2000. And as somebody who was born in 1995, I don't remember that. And definitely politics was not something I cared about when I was five. I do have some memories, very select memories before 9-11, but that's really the first big memory I know. And that was a year after uh, all this went down. And so they they do a lot of explaining about how the election turned out to be uh, what it was and why it turned out to be what it was all the way. uh, They spent 20, 25 minutes talking about Elian uh, Gonzalez. The, uh, oh, yeah. the the kid who uh, came aboard uh, a life raft and was the only survivor uh, from Cuba to Miami and how that played such a huge role in causing Florida to, instead of being very much going for Al Gore, uh, kind of made it into a, a kind of 50-50 state and how eventually the election came down to just Florida. And so there's a lot of context on surrounding on that. And they probably half the documentary is before the election, half the documentary is 
or before election day and half the documentary is after election day and i really like how it just kind of chronologic uh, uh sets out how everything is done because really the only thing i knew about this election was that bush cheney won against gore lieberman and gore won the popular vote but bush still won uh, the the electoral college so Bush was our president right. and um, that that's really all I knew and I think this was a really fascinating look um, and it's it's very timely uh, the the reason I I, th- I thought it was very interesting the reason uh, so I'm recommending this for somebody that doesn't know the story I mean Donald you lived through this this probably isn't going to necessarily help you in, in a lot of ways it's it's not really going to be for somebody who was paying attention uh back in the year 2000 but uh but for me to kind of get this sense of history uh I, I thought this was great but there is one big part that i'm definitely saying the documentary lost me here uh and it's why i can't full full-heartedly recommend it and it's the last five minutes because at the end eventually we know that gore concedes and and bush wins because of the the votes in florida I mean, they weren't in, they weren't completely counted, uh, at least the way that they should have been. And the last five minutes then goes to uh, so the people talking and saying, uh, talking about Al Gore and how he should have won the presidency. And like, sure, uh, probably uh, if, if as long as the votes were there, sure. But I guess we don't know because the ballots have still never been counted, the ones that were supposed to be counted. And so. I can't full heartedly recommend this because as they're reminiscing about this, they're talking about, we, we would have loved to see what a Gore presidency would have looked like. And one of them, one person straight up says nine 11 would not have happened. And I mean, come on, there's no way we can know <laughs> what, what would have happened and what not, would not have happened. I don't think that whatever the sitting president would have dictated the events of nine 11. I, I don't think you can, you can put that on, the fact that it was Bush or the fact that there was a Republican in office, that's, that's not fair. I don't think that that works out well. And I, I I don't see any clear line of logic. And so I did not like that at all. I I didn't, I didn't think that was good. And they they talk about how, how the war in Iraq would have looked very differently because we'd had a Democrat instead of Republican. And I mean, there's a lot of things, they make a lot of assumptions and some of them are just really bold and, uh, gosh, I don't. They really threw me off when they said nine eleven wouldn't have happened if Gore was president. Oh yeah, I mean, I can tell you, I probably got about thirty yeah. books, and the smallest one is about five hundred pages that are just everything from, um, you know, I mean, it's it starts with Charlie Wilson's war talking about you know Afghanistan with the Mujahideen against Russia, and goes all the way through the war on terror, quote unquote, because you know what is a war on terror actually mean? I can right. absolutely promise you, the seeds for nine eleven were sown. Basically, the moment the U.S. kicked Russia out of Afghanistan and then the U.S. deuced out. I can absolutely promise you 9-11 would have happened. It might not have been 9-11. It might not have been to that extent. But, um, yeah, that that was happening. That was going to be happening pretty much. That's Reagan presidency, for crying out loud. That's right. That's just, right. Yeah, that, so that. Well, and this wasn't plan. something that they planned in a year, right? <laughs> anyway, I, so I guess if you if you're really interested in watching it, just watch it. Just just turn it off when when Gore concedes. <laughs> uh, that, that would be my, my recommendation. Just don't watch the last five or ten minutes, uh, or at least be prepared for what they're going to say and be prepared to have an open mind. And I don't I don't fault HBO for for putting that out there. I mean, that's part of the documentary, part of the people they're interviewing. Um, I don't I don't fault them for putting that out there. I don't I don't I think this movie does a pretty good job. I mean, obviously it's on the side of Gore because they think that Gore should have won and probably rightfully so, but I, I don't feel like this is necessarily a politically motivated, like, Oh yeah, we want to show this to the Democrats. I don't, I don't feel that way. Sure. Uh, I could be very wrong, but I just, just, just be prepared for that at the end. Uh, really noted. 
it's it, and and again for somebody that li- lived through it, I mean, there's not going to be anything new here. But for somebody that was five, it really helped me kind of put some of the pieces together. Oh, that's good. That that very is, and it then it did its job because, like, I'll freely admit it. I, yeah, I lived through it, but it, um, I was, you know, I graduated high school in 2000. I was a freshman in college in 2000 when the election happened. I couldn't care left. I went to sleep when they were like, Florida has, we're redoing Florida is still open. And I was like, I don't care. I'm going to bed. Um, so yeah, there, there was, even though I was technically an adult, I still really wasn't that into the election process. Sure. Cool. Yeah. Well, there you go. There's our, there's our, uh, recommends and half recommend, I think, <laughs> but, uh, but Hey, we did it. That's a wrap. Uh, so a quick reminder that Civ Pop Riders Room is part of the Studio DNA network. You can check out other great shows at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. If you're interested in writing for SifPop.com uh, or you want to get in contact with us, with us, maybe send us a question to explore during the B-plot, uh, then email us at writersroom at SifPop.com. The email should be in your show description uh, if you're interested in a quick link for that. Uh, and if you want to support the show, help out with some costs that we pay for out of pocket, such as fees, equipments, and rentals. You can Venmo me at Schweitcastle or you can email me or DM me on Twitter for a PayPal address. And please don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps out the show more than you will ever possibly know. And while you're doing things, go ahead and search White Castle on Twitter uh, and on Letterboxd. That's the best ways you can connect with me. And that's, that's that. So, uh, so Donald, where can listeners find you? Uh, If, if there is a place that you, you can have people interact with you, if you want that, Uh, is is there a place like that for you? Absolutely not. I do not have yeah. I, I am about the most non-social media millennial you will ever come across. In fact, the more uh, the more available and intrusive social media gets, uh, the less uh, the more I kind of actively pull away. My wife got an I you know my wife got an Apple Watch in the same year that I was honestly considering trying to just go back to a flip phone. Just going for that <laughs> way. Just. Uh, yeah, I do not have too much of a presence out there, but that's what I love about Sip Pop is it kind of gives me a chance to still uh, participate and enjoy uh, the community of people that love movies and pop culture without having to actually be like fully invested on that. Yeah. Well, there we go. Uh, if you want to reach Donald, uh, contact me. <laughs> I can your comments. Uh, awesome hey next week uh, I have been on we're talking V for Vendetta like I mentioned earlier and uh, next month I'm talking nostalgia movies with Evan we're going to be talking about the uh, Disney Channel original movie I think uh, Brink which will be new for me so uh, about a month to to watch that if you're trying to keep up with the show but hey Donald it has been absolutely amazing having you on I really appreciated getting to know you and getting to hear your voice and hearing your opinion on movies and uh, I look forward to the next time that we can do this but uh, I think for now we we have to get to the writer's room 